this new podcast in the world. From WWE to DNA Impact. By way of the NWA, it's time for Reffing It Up. With legendary referee Brian Hebner. An all new episode starts in... This, this is Reffing It Up. Welcome back to another episode of Reffing It Up with Brian Hebner. I am the man with the magical voice, RJ. He is the man in the stripes, the one, the only, Mr. Brian Hebner. Brian, what's up, man? What is going on, man? I am really excited about today's uh, podcast, brother. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I talked to uh, Mr. Aries uh, a few days before we uh, obviously are doing this, and mm-hmm. he seemed pretty amped, man. Um, you know, amped up uh, Austin Aries can be kind of scary and good at the same time so. <laughs> well yeah if you you know how you know how he is you work with him so often that uh it'll be interesting to see what he uh what he has to say because you know you especially you know how vocal he can be at times yes i do and um i hope he brings that vocal to the show and i hope he says what the uh, greatest man that ever lived wants to say so Sure. Anyway, let's let's not get wrapped up in that yet, even though we're both very excited about oh, that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, without question. Uh, so why don't we just send it up to the first count this week, get the ball rolling. <laughs> Brian, last weekend, TNA, or excuse me, not TNA, crap, Impact, for slip of the tongue, uh, Impact had their pay-per-view emergence. Uh, and I, I talked to you, I, we were going back and forth, um, messaging and uh, I just kept on telling you and I've told this told this to Daniel too I said man I don't know what the hell it is but I have no idea why Impact is not in the same conversation with the likes of an AEW or New Japan or whatever the case may be because the fans fan base for Impact is very dedicated to the product so maybe that is maybe it's a TV maybe it's this maybe it's that what do you think you were there for so long. Well, well, first of all, I, I want to say uh, hats off to those guys over at Impact Wrestling. And I understand why you say TNA. It's hard for me as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't want to want to beat you up on that for sure. Uh, sure. But um, I did watch that pay-per-view. And it's probably the, the first pay-per-view that I've watched since I have officially retired from refereeing full-time inside the square circle. And I'm going to tell you, that was that – was, that was fun. That was fun to sit back and watch. And I did that. And I really, really, really enjoyed the entire thing from beginning to the end. Um, great matches. I mean, great matches, great logic, just a great pay-per-view. And you're right. Should be talked about more. Um, but, but to me, it's about numbers, man. It's about numbers. Um, numbers don't lie. And until they figure a way to get on a bigger network, and I understand that they're on the network of Access TV, which is actually the owner of Impact Wrestling. Um, and, you know, the last I heard when I was leaving uh, or retiring, however you want to put it, I knew that there was some shopping of networks going on at that point in time. And there probably still is as we speak. Uh, but I do think if there's a bigger network and they can be bigger as far as numbers uh, weekly, I, I think they would be in that conversation that you're, 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 you know, asking about because of the fact of this, if they were to be as close to meaning they, a, a, AEW, 
is as close to WWE as if Impact could be as close to AEW in that same form. Um, I think we're talking totally different at this point right now, and this conversation is not even brought up. I think they do a hell of a job on Access TV, and I think they do pretty decent numbers for the size of that network. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's about the numbers, man. It's not about the quality of work. That's that's for fucking sure. Yeah. Well, and I've told you this numerous times. I've told this to so many people. I basically I told to anybody that would listen to it to me. Impact has legitimately outside of WWE, because there's no really you can't compare to WWE in anything. Impact has the best roster top to bottom, starting from the top, your champion, Josh Alexander, all the way, honestly, all the way down to the guy that sweeps the ring out. You know what I mean? Because the talent in that locker room, you know, you were there. is phenomenal. Pun intended, pun intended, I guess. No, I mean, no, it is. It's, it's, it's never been about talent. Um, you know, when we were on Spike TV, we were that, that probably the recognition that you're talking about that's lacking. Um, we were, we were numbers. We were doing numbers better than AEW at the top. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and we continue to, when we were on Spike TV to do better numbers than they are. Um, and, and this is no knock on them, but mm-hmm. you know, of course the excuse is that less people are watching cable nowadays. Well, it doesn't, you know, give me a break. Um, TNA at the time were on a roll and they were a big, big part of Spike TV, the highest rated show they had. I'm not saying they need to get to a Spike TV type of network as big as that, but, but, but a bigger network. And I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think about this all the time. I'm thinking like, what kind of network, what kind of network? I mean, and that's a tough question to ask. Yeah. Because if you, if you think about it, you have USA's taken care of TBS, TNT, um, you know, you got Fox. I, 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 I wouldn't say totally go off the realm of possibility of going back to like a Paramount. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, I don't really know what's out there. Like that would be something equivalent to not the um, what was it, Destination X, something bigger yeah. than that. Yeah. Or Destination America, excuse me. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know that that was a that was a very lonely time there for us. Yeah. Um. But uh, but something bigger than Access TV. And, you know, once again, I sit here and, and, and rack my brains and think of channels. And there are some, man, there are some uh, that I think would fit really well. Um, like something that's big, like, and it's not even that big, but it's bigger, way bigger. And I, people would laugh. And I'm just thinking of little things that could work for, 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 for stations that want to have people watch, like the Game Show Network. Mm-hmm. Okay. The game show network that would like to me, that would be like a perfect fit type of thing to put on a night, a weekly, you know, wrestling show on a, on that kind of channel. And it's just an example of, or a small example of what I'm saying, but no, I just, you know, and I don't know what makes a channel get bigger. I mean, I don't know if access TV is allowed to get bigger. I don't know if they're allowed to reach more homes. I don't know how cable works like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but that in my opinion is, is, is the, um, the hold down of right now. That is. Yeah, and it's like I said before, with the fan base is so dedicated to the product. If you want to watch a product, you're gonna go out and find it on Access TV uh, because not every cable system has it. You know, Spectrum, you got to go up the next package. Uh, my dad's got Direct TV; you can get a Direct TV right through there. It's not a problem. But you know, there's also ways around it. And I think they're they're very smart. Whoever's handling it, whether it be Scott Demore or whomever it may be. Streaming is literally everything now, Brian. You know how it is. 
you and I both live on YouTube pretty much because you want to watch wrestling, you type wrestling in impact. You can get your impact plus and uh, uh, was it uh, impact um, insiders right there. And it's what four bucks a month, five bucks a month. You get all the, the TV stuff. You get all that extra pay-per-view stuff. So it's, it's available. It's just people have to go a little bit farther because I think they're so accustomed to, you know, turning on cable, turning to USA, turning to Fox for WWE. Or yeah. turning to um, TNT, TBS, or AEW. I get it. But I think it's just, I, I, I consider Impact like the little engine that could kind of thing. That they keep plugging along. They keep chugging along. They keep kicking ass each and every week, each and every month with their pay-per-views. And it's just, it, it sickens me, sort of, that they're not really talked about that much. Oh, what the hell's Impact? Oh, they're not on national TV. They're not doing that well. Well, okay. Well, if you if if you watch the show before, you know what we're talking about. That's for damn sure. And if obviously those of you that are listening to this show probably watch if have, are watching Impact or have watched Impact in the past. Well, that's a, well. Here's another thing. I mean, the, the fact of the matter is they are doing well. Yeah, uh, they are. Um, they're doing very well for that network as well. Um, I don't know what their average, you know, viewership per week is. Um, I'm sure that's out there, uh, but. You know, now this is a question to you who's more computer savage than I am or mm -hmm. savvy, but I think you are computer savage. Um, <laughs> but like, don't you need to know about a product in order to even stream it? What you need to know about it? Or is that not? But you also have to figure out what platforms you want to put it on. You have to figure out because before they were all over, uh, YouTube, they had the Twitch channel and they were doing a couple thousand a week during the shows and whatnot. And you could get revenue from that. But at the same time with, with YouTube, it's more, everybody has YouTube. You can easily put it on your Roku or any of these streaming platforms and very easily do it. Where with the Twitch, I think it was just so not a lot of people knew because it was more of a gaming site than anything. Uh, but it, it's, yeah. I think they have a grasp on it. I think they got the right people in the right positions with uh, Scott Demore, Gail Kim's in there, Tommy's in there, Delo's in there. Um, and I'm sure I'm missing somebody. So I apologize. I think it was Jimmy Jacobs is in there as well. And I, I think the right people are, are there. It's just a matter of, okay, taking that next, that next step to really putting um, you know, a fire underneath their ass to get close to AEW, I think. Because I, th I think it's possible. Oh, I think it's very, very possible. I think it's, like, ludicrous possible. Um, but like I said, I think it's all about numbers, man. It's about numbers. I mean, you know, if you're if you're a dirt sheet company, um, you know, you got to think about it. It's like in any other business. I mean, if if um, you're, 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 you're making appliances and you're selling more stainless steel appliances, you're not going to make white and black right away. Right. So, mm -hmm. you know, if you're building your your dirt sheet off of people that are wanting to read things, well, what are they going to read more about what they know more about, which is WWE and AEW. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it's that I don't think it's that people don't, don't want to cover it. I think it's about numbers. Again, who's watching and reading what I'm writing and you're going to write, read and pay more attention to this bigger stuff. I mean, that's just that's just fact. Well, and, and it's also too. everybody says, oh, the key demo for this, the key demo for this. Well, pretty much. They average anywhere from the last numbers I'm looking at 
and they were probably about May or June, May to July of this year. You're looking anywhere from 125,000 to 135,000 viewers a week. Yeah, which you is know, not, which is not not bad at all. But you know, when you when you look at it and you're kind of comparing them to the rest of it, it's like you can't compare them because you have like an AEW's on TN, one of the major networks that literally everybody gets, and they're doing. You know, they're not. They've done a million a couple times, but they're also doing probably. 800 to nine, you know, eight to 700,000 homes or views or what have you. But it, 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 it's so, how do you put it? Uh, it's not viewed very well because you got views live and then you have people that DVR it after the fact, or they watch it on the streaming site after the fact. So it's, you know, you have to incorporate everything. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there were, there was a time when we were doing, um, when Dixie Carter would talk to us and tell us that we were waiting for the plus three numbers. Um, and the plus three numbers were those numbers that you were talking about with the, the DVR, mm -hmm. uh, the DVR numbers go only go up to the like next three days after the show is actually live aired. Sure. Uh, so those all came in and then that's where we got our number from. So she was, it was basically a way of telling everyone, don't be disappointed until we get our plus three numbers. So, that's 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 another thing too that is is that all equaled in as far as impacts numbers too so you know and usually those come out two days after it's airing so th yeah. those can't be with those dvr numbers as well so and there's also like you said there's streaming numbers there's all kinds of numbers they know what number they're hitting just like you know the like you said you know aw let's just say do eight between eight hundred thousand and nine hundred thousand a week period mm -hmm. end of discussion that's their average they, they barely ever hit a million um, they may do it once or twice a year. Um, WWE, their numbers are what at this point, their good numbers that they're having now are like two point something, right? Million, yeah, so, yeah, maybe like one and a half to two and a half, something like that. Yeah, right. So, I mean, you know, and, and their numbers were much larger at some point, too. So, it's, it's, it's not an apples to apples kind of conversation when it comes to TNA impact wrestling versus. And I just did what you did. Um, Impact Wrestling versus. Oh, uh, yeah. It's a second nature to me. I, I, I hit there. It's all the same. It's not all the same, but it is all the same to me. But um, you know, one thing I wanted to get on to get your thoughts on, too, before we get over to a little backstory on our guest this week, Austin Aries. Uh, Brian Gerwitz came out this afternoon, a few hours ago. It came out on WrestlingInc.com that, you know, with Triple H now and the, the helm of creative as long as well as Stephanie, it's kind of that new car smell. I bet it is. And obviously you were there for Vince. You're also there, you know, you see in the outside with triple H too. Do you think it's just a matter of, okay, this is what we did for so long. This is what's not working. We're going to try something new. We talked about it last week. You're bringing stars back. Do you think that it's just a matter of time before they really get back to that, you know, that old school mentality? Well, I, I mean, I do. I think that they're just going to go back and hit the reset button. Um, and I think that what Brian Gerwitz was um, trying to suggest without saying bad things or ill things to Vince was that, um, I bet things are going to be much smoother. I bet things are going to be much nicer and easier to pitch ideas and to actually write and not have things 
thrown back at me to have to rewrite and rewrite mm-hmm. and rewrite. That new car smell thing that he's referring to is the old car smells gone. That old mm-hmm. leather is gone. There's there's right. there's there's newness. And you know, I wouldn't put it past if he came back to them with new life. Um, because he's a hell of a writer too. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just hearing that statement is like kind of wow to me because you know the guy's never said a bad thing about this that I've ever seen. And um, and this is not something bad. I think this is just something true in his heart. Is what he thinks. Yeah. So you know, you know everything. You know, my dad always told me, all new brooms sweep clean. All new brooms. And as those new brooms continue to sweep, what happens to them? They get dirty. They, they get dirty, and then they become old brooms. So we'll see. You know, this this um this new wedding bells doesn't last forever. Uh, right. So we'll see how it goes. We'll see what kind of legs it gets. But no, that was that was uh it was pretty interesting on uh, Brian Gerwitz. I, I, I liked reading it. Yeah, because he's been all over uh, AFS at freeshows.com. Uh recently he was on Kurt's show, uh talking to him, just talk obviously because he played such a big role in Kurt's career too, writing for him and wrote for The Rock. Obviously, he's a higher up there with Seven Bucks Productions with The Rock and uh his uh, uh ex-wife there is their their uh production company there. So you know, he's doing it. He's doing it the right way. And it's, he, he's gone a long way from where he was to where he is now. So it's good to see, uh, you know, tally went up for the good guys. Yes, sir. Nothing good. Nothing good for him. Love it. Right. So let's send it up to the second count of this episode and talk a little Austin Aries. Brian, he is a three time world heavyweight champion, a six time impact X division champion. Dude has literally won between ROH, TNA, Impact, over 14 total championships. Dude, from where he started, because I remember watching him in Impact and TNA. And from where he started from, you know, just kind of like that curtain jerker kind of guy that would start the shows and to the mid card. And then he main evented. Just unreal to see how he has like evolved over time. Oh, it really, really is. And I was actually there to see it. And uh, I don't want to touch on it too much now as far as that goes, because I want to wait for him to get on here, uh, because that is something I was really excited to see in front of my eyes. And I actually talked to him and had conversation about how this was happening as it transpired. So it was really cool because um, he was actually in my um, my locker room and um, not my locker room, but, you know, where I dressed. <laughs> sure. Sure. Uh, so or, or, or trailer, should I say the trailer uh-huh. uh, there in Orlando and uh, yeah, uh, it, it was amazing to watch, man. He did. He went extremely, just like you said, from the bottom, basically, all the way to the top. And it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't a long time. It took him either. Well, no, because he got an impact uh, TNA. See, we're, we're going to go back and forth, so I'm sure everybody will uh, not have a problem with that. But uh started there in 2005, right about the time you got there, about 2006, right? Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. So... Really started to hit the ground running. You know, he's getting thrusted into the X Division uh, title hunt. Uh, you know, and he, he really has a lot uh, going into it, too, starting with ROH, you know, being teamed with Roderick Strong. The dude can go, man. And that's one of the things that got me so, you know, I'll talk about it now before we talk instead of later, but that's what bugged me so much and how WWE didn't know what to do with him. I'm like, how do you not know what to do with somebody like Austin Aries? I agree. 
You know what I mean? Because you throw him in the cruiserweight division, which wonderful, fine, great. He ran, he, he had hell of a matches with Pac there in WWE. Who Pac now in uh, Aaron Neville there at that time, but dude, I'm like, what the hell? You find so much to do with a guy like Roddy Strong, and you know, not to compare the two guys, but you know, I kind of put him in the same conversation with a lot of those X Division guys, guys like you know Roderick Strong, like I mentioned, Jay Lethal, Matt Matt Sandel, Sandel uh, Christopher Daniels, Kaz, whatever that they can basically have matches with anybody. And how the hell can you not? It just bugs me, man. It just bugs me. <laughs> well, I can, well, I can see that RJ, my gosh. Um, <laughs> but no, he, um, some about him that, you know, what that I found really, really intriguing was that he could do an old school match just as good as anybody. Mm -hmm. And of course he could do a high flying just all over the place kind of match as well. But I really think his strength was being a heel and working old school. Mm -hmm. I, I really do. I and think it, that's where his money's at. And it's something I'm sure we'll talk about once he gets on here in a little bit, but uh, it's just a guy that really, you know, took pride in his character and that character building because you got, like I said, you put him in, I put him in the same category as a guy like Jay Lethal. We saw him at Ric Flair's last match. A guy like, I can even put him, compare him to somewhat to like a Bobby Roode, where he takes so much pride, a James Storm, that takes so much pride in their character and developing that character, whether it be heel or whether it be babyface or whatever. Because for the longest time, too, when he first got in with the company, you know, he was a tweener. Nobody knew what to think. You know, do I cheer for this guy? Do I boo this guy? What the hell? You know, right. but when he'd come, when he'd come out with the cape and whatnot, I'm like, how can you not boo this guy? True, true. <laughs> and then it's also, you know, it's it's weird how, you know, you got like accolades such as like when he captured the uh, Ring of Honor World Championship mm -hmm. uh, in 2004, he beat a 645 day champion, which was Samoa Joe. Right. I mean. I mean, that, that, what does that say? What's the faith that they had in someone beating, finally beating Joe? Um, right. Samoa, no slouch. No slouch. No. You know what I mean? You, oh, you know, you know, you worked with him a lot. Absolutely. And, and what I'm saying is that meant, that meant to some people or all people, all right, well, this is the guy we need to turn the belt over to, to beat, finally beat Joe. Because mm -hmm. this guy can handle it. This guy can carry it. You know what I mean? So that's a huge, like, uh, accomplishment. Well, and then he would, uh, you know, they'd even get him in there as part of the training school for ROH too. So when you get ROH prides himself in their training. And when you put a guy like Austin in there, it's like, okay, well now, now it's business. And, you know, even had one of CM Punk's last feuds in ROH before he went up to the WWE, you know, so it, you put a lot of faith in a guy like Austin Aries and you know what you're going to get back. It's just that hard, nose wrestler that can literally he can do anything well it's another kind of hats off thing to him like you know doing the research and all you know that you sent me in um seeing that he was a you know a, one of the trainers there as an active wrestler that's i found that very very intriguing yeah. so he's an active wrestler active champion active head you know talent on tv for them and still training talent that's mm -hmm. that's that's pretty that's 
pretty amazing to me, man, actually. Well, that too. And it's like, especially when you're in ROH, and I'm sure when's when the same thing when he was in Impact, is you, you can take some of these indie, independent uh, uh, bookings too. You know what I mean? So he's still doing, he contracted out with TNA and Impact and what have you, but he's still making these shots with these bigger, these bigger super indies, what have you. Uh, obviously the indies in 2005 and six aren't what they weren't, what they were, what they are now. No. Uh, when you can, you know, you got a guy, you got a super for better use of terms of, I'll call it GCW super indie because it, it's, they're pulling people in. They got another dedicated uh, a fan base there too. And no, it's they- just, but it, it, it just it, it's just interesting to see where it's like, okay, well, it, like I said, it's going to bug me and it'll probably keep me up at night, to be honest with you, why they why the hell they didn't uh, do more with him. But no, now he's over with um, Create Your Narrative 2 with uh, Adam Shear and uh, EC3 too. So maybe that's something we'll put talk on here, talk to him about in a few, few moments. But um, yeah, it's just, did you... Were you surprised on how you know popular that he was in TNA? I wasn't. No, I actually wasn't. Um, I, I the the guy has you know he he can he can um he can be the man in the room, man. He really can. And you know, watching him when he got there, I had already known him that kind of thing. And uh, just me and my dad were both in awe with him because, like I said, because we, we we both loved the way that he worked old school, and then all of a sudden could just flip that shit to to X style. So it was, it was pretty awesome to watch the, uh, the growing of them. And it was just really cool to see it in front of my face. So, so, you know, let's take a short break. And when we come back, we'll have the man, the myth, the legend himself, Mr. Austin Aries. We talked about it. We did it more. So you did it. So I'll give you your credit. We're just due. I tried to not to put you over as much as possible, but, he is the greatest man that ever lived. <laughs> Mr. Austin Aries. Austin, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for being uh, here. Thanks for having me. You know, I, I still chuckle every time uh, I'm called that because it was always a tongue in cheek, right? Like, yeah, it was like the most absurd title I could think of. And that just made me giggle every time someone called me that because it's just it's totally absurd, right? <laughs> so anyway, thank you. Good to be here, guys. Yeah. Nice, nice seeing you again. Talking again, Brian. You too, buddy. You too, man. Um, say hey, so wow. Um, just trying to catch up, man. I haven't talked to you in a while. I know I've reached out to you. Uh with I'm the one last time I talked to you, wasn't it about my retirement when that when I called you? I, I think it was it was before you announced it. You kind of mentioned that it was <clears throat> it was on your mind. Congratulations on that. I mean, a hell of a career and and leaving on your own terms, which you know a lot of us don't get to do. So you should uh you should be very proud of that, you know. And uh, you're not leaving as an old, broken down old man, you know, which, which a lot of us do. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, man. Congratulations. I'm no fucking Earl Hebner, damn it. You know, selling shirts. Ah, I sold 25 <laughs> shirts tonight. Oh, yeah, Earl, you're selling yours for $9. Ours are all going for 20 Like, of course it's. <laughs> oh, man, I, lo- I love your old man, though. Oh, that was great, great shit. My fa- one of our one of our fa- favorite lines: "Suck, suck our balls, old man." Just to see, <laughs> me, 
just to see if, he, if we could make him crack in the middle of a match. Me and Bobby would, <laughs> would do that quite a bit, especially on house shows, just to see if we could get a reaction. Did he ever break? Uh, yeah, a couple times, you know, a couple times. Not Never on TV, but but on some of those house shows where it's a little little looser or whatever, we'd, we'd get him here and there. <laughs> you, know, you know, it was hilarious today. I was doing... Uh... I was watching old uh, Survivor Series, Brian, and this might even bring it up for you, Austin, too. Is I was watching your dad ref Undertaker versus The Rock at Survivor Series 98, and your dad took a bump from Undertaker, just took a freaking fist right to the side of the face. I'm like, oh, no, so that's where Brian gets the bumps bumping from. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 it's, uh, it's in my blood. Can't help it. Yeah. So, so, so Austin, when was the first time that you really, you know, you worked a lot with, with Brian and I didn't realize how much, you know, until I did a lot of this research and it's like, yeah. you see a lot of these X division matches and yourself, whether it be yourself or Zima or whomever, Brian was that guy. Was it one of those where you kind of, you know, handpicked him or was it like, Hey, it was just how the cards fell. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't handpick anything um, in my time there, to be honest. You, you kind of take what you're handed. Um, I think it just came down to, you know, Brian was the guy that could keep up with our pace. You know, like I love Earl, but Earl was usually working with the bigger heavyweights that had a little slower style and Brian could keep up with, with what we were doing. And, and, you know, um, you know, those are two of the, the best refs I've ever been in the ring with. I think, I think for me though, is, is I really enjoyed the, the relationship and the rapport I got to, to build with both of them, Brian, especially we've had a lot of, a lot of nights after the shows having conversations and, and good conversations. Cause we don't, you know, we don't necessarily agree on everything. We come from different backgrounds. Um, but, but it's proof that two guys can sit down and respectfully have some discourse and, and try to see where the person's coming from and, and then walk away from that conversation, still having respect for that person. And, and so that's something I've always kind of admired about, you know, Brian and, and the other thing too is, you know, that job's not easy. I don't think, you know, I think sometimes it gets lost is how difficult and how important the, the referee job is. So when you have guys at that level, um, you know, a good referee can make a, a, a bad match better and a bad referee can make a good match worse. And so every time we got to get in the room with Brian, uh, we knew that, you know, he was going to elevate the match and, and, you know, we just had to make sure we pulled our part. I appreciate that, man. Um, and to, to go back on one thing you said, which is, um, absolutely 100% true, probably one of the finest memories, uh, uh, sadly, um, is that, uh, we, we had many late nights after the show. And, um, uh, I will say if people didn't know what me and you were and how we were, they would probably think that we hated each other's guts. <laughs> stumbling up on our conversations um, because we were both very strong in our opinions, but we both respected their, our opinions. Um, I respected yours, you respected mine. And that's a huge thing about having a good conversation. Cause you, you know, good conversations don't always have to be, yeah, I agree with you, buddy. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. great, buddy. And yeah, we, we rarely had those to be honest with you. We have ones that we like to pick up though on things that you didn't agree with. And I didn't, and that was what we liked. We like to pick our brains on different things that we weren't necessarily agreeing on. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was cool, man. And I, and, you know, just, I really enjoyed it. Like, I know that sounds crazy, but I really enjoyed like having a conversation with you where we kind of battle for our opinions and, yeah. uh, and defending them. You know what I mean? And and that's something that, 
I've had a hard time finding in my life, especially within the, in, within the industry, you know, I'm a, especially my younger years, you know, very passionate and sometimes let my emotions get the best of me, especially in, in those scenarios. And so to me, there's a difference between like passionately debating something you believe in and disrespectfully debate, you know, arguing with somebody. And so we could raise our voice and be animated, but there was never any disrespect. There's never any animosity or name calling. We just both strongly believe wherever it might be at the time. And we were going to passionately debate with one another, but always do it in a respectful way. And I think that's a big thing missing in this world right now. And there's so much divide. And if everyone doesn't see the world exactly like I do, or, you know, support the ideology that I do, then they're my enemy. And I think that's really destroying, like, it's really destroying the culture right now. And, you know, we got to find a way to be able to sit at a table with people who come from different backgrounds and have different ideologies and thoughts with the attempt to try to understand and, and maybe even learn something, you know, like what's the worst that's going to happen. You might learn something. It might change your perspective a little bit, but if you sit in an echo chamber constantly and you only surround yourself with people who tell you exactly what you want to hear, I don't think you ever really grow as a person, right? You're just, you're just going to always be the same. And so, yeah, I, I like to sit down with people who have different thoughts and opinions and debate with them and listen. And a lot of times I'll walk away with a better perspective and maybe it, maybe it moves my perception or my perspective a little bit in a different direction. And I, that's a great thing. It means I learned something. That means I'm, I'm better after the conversation that I was going into it. I agree. Yeah. It's cause that's something that we touched on before we brought you in Austin is the fact that throughout your career, whether it's bands, ROH, TNA, Impact, uh, uh, WWE, whatever, you could literally have a match with literally anybody. You know, you're getting paired up with this. What I found was fantastic was the whole Kevin Nash open invitation for the X Division. Mm. And you, know, you can have, you know, matches with like a Jay Lethal or, or Alex Shelley. But at the same time, get a match with Bobby Roode. And the chemistry was so well. Was that something that when you got in the business, but oh, when ROH was about 0405, you got here about 05. Yeah. Was that something that you just prided yourself in? Because, you know, a lot of the times we hear a lot of workers say, hey, if I have so many different tools in my toolbox, it's going to be hard for somebody not to use me. Yeah, I appreciate that. It was absolutely something that from the minute I started training in 2000, um, I was very adamant that I wanted to be a professional wrestler. You know, I didn't want to be a cruiserweight or I didn't want to be pigeonholed into a certain role. And so even in my early training, I really kind of resisted learning a lot of the, I, you know, to say like Rey Mysterio style of, of wrestling because I didn't, want to, I didn't want to be seen as that. And I looked at a guy like Eddie Guerrero, you know, um, as, as a guy who, who could do all of that, but he could be taken seriously as a, as a world champion. And so that was something that I kind of emulated. And yeah, I've always prided myself on if you need me to open the night out, you know, curtain jerk and get and, and set the pace of the night and give you that type of match, I can do that. Um, if you need me to give you a 30 minute main event and, 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 you know, that big feel match, I can do that and I can do anything in between. Cause yeah, I always feel like if you, you know, if, if you bring that, versatility to the table there's always a spot to put you in right so let me ask you this, uh aries uh real quick um did you want to finish is there two part no, of there no you're good you're good go ahead so what is if you were to characterize or sum up or explain 
what is Austin Aries? Like, what is Austin Aries the wrestler? Like, what 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 is it that you would say in a dictionary and write out the definition? Or if the, if, if there is one, like, what is Austin Aries? What is Austin Aries? Oh, man. I can go different directions with this. You know, something that Tommy Dreamer said to me once that I didn't really think about until he really said, he said, you might be the most misunderstood man in pro wrestling, right? And so, and and I think that stems from, you know, if we're talking about just the pro, Austin Aries, the wrestler, he, he was really, he was really, really good and he knows it. Right. Like um, just from a, from a, you know, from a performance standpoint, but if you're talking about like Austin Aries, the, like the character and like the extension of Daniel, the person, man, he's just, he's just someone who's misunderstood because he doesn't really understand the world around him and has had a hard time navigating that world that when he looks at it, um, you know, pulled back from, from a, a macro standpoint, it just doesn't make any sense. The way people are treated, the way we put profits and money over people, you know, we're constantly at war. We, we, we have no problem that, you know, 40% of the people will get cancer in their lifetime. And we don't question why that is like, there's just so many things about life that I just haven't been able to wrap my head around. And pro wrestling was an extension of that because a lot of my issues along the way that I've had was never about creative. It was never about my position in the company or winning or losing matches or titles. It was always about how the business was being done and how, and how the talent was being treated, you know? And that was what I always pushed back on because it just, it didn't make sense to me. Cause that's not, I would always think if I was in that position, that's not how I would treat the people that were working for me. And so, and with that though, was, you know, passion and fire and then not being able to, not being able to harness that in a, in a constructive manner to take those issues head on and sometimes letting my emotions get the best of me, you know, not having a filter. Um, you know, I don't think to speak. Sometimes I speak to think I got to get out all the things in my head and put them out and verbalize them so that I can sift through and see what holds true. Other people are able to do that internally. So everything they say is measured. I'm not measured, man. It, you, you get what you get. You know, there's, there's no agenda. There's no hidden secret agendas with me. You know, I'm pretty much face value. Um, I'm not a liar. I'm not a cheat. I'm not a steal. You know, I can be a pain in the ass. I can be really opinionated and I can, and, and you know, and if you push me or test me, I can, I can, you know, I can be a son of a bitch. I'm, you know, I'm not going to shy away from that, but righteous anger to me sometimes isn't a bad thing, but you also have to know how to constructively, aim that if you want to get a good result. And that's maybe where I've struggled along the way is knowing how to approach that in the correct way to get the change that, that I think was necessary. So, so if you had to go back and look at your career, what would you be say, uh, what would you say would be looked at as the, like the big hit for you? And then what would you say would be the big miss for you? Uh, well, you know, the big hit, and I'll just say this because this is what people always come up to me and say was the option C concept. It seems to be the one thing that people always kind of, you know, remember me for. And that obviously was at the time where we had that great, you know, creative story of me cashing that in and becoming the world champion, which for me is, is a guy who had fought against being pigeonholed as just an X division guy who had, you know, left that company 
<clears throat> under not so good terms because he was unwilling to accept the value they wanted to place on me, you know, to come back and win that championship was a, for me, a, a bit of a um, redemption in a way to say that maybe you were, maybe you did, maybe you didn't do things the right way, but you did what needed to be done to be in the position that you thought you could be in. So I think that's probably the hit, the miss. Um, honestly, man, the, the biggest miss is, is not taking the contract offer after Bound for Glory uh, 18 with John Morrison. You know, we had that great match. We had a lot of buzz, created a lot of controversy, which was the whole point of, of how that match ended. And for some personal reasons that I've never really talked about, um, I passed on, on the contract. They, they put a multi-year contract, a, very, a, a nice contract in front of me. And I was just dealing with some personal stuff at the time where I decided not to take the contract thinking I would still have an opportunity to come back, or at least, you know, I offered to, to still come back and do the rematch to kind of finish up that storyline. Cause I thought we still had some steam there, but you know, we just never got back together. And that's something that, you know, is a regret of mine because it painted a certain picture that people believe about me that isn't true. And, but with me never showing up and that being like the lasting image that, you know, impact fans have of me walking out the way I did. Um, I understand why they believe that, you know, and um, maybe at some point I get the opportunity to come back and, and leave a, leave in a different way. But, but until that happens, um, you know, that for me is a big miss. So why do you think that they didn't, at least whether you signed the deal or not, let you come back to finish the unfinished business? Um, well, one thing I was told was I don't think they expected the amount of backlash that they got. Like there was a lot of, you know, like online heat. And a lot of companies, especially nowadays, are, are afraid of that vocal portion of the fan base. And if they get too vocal and they're too upset, the company feels like they need to cater to them a little bit and change course. Um, you know, that's, you know, that's happened in a lot of companies over a lot of years as this kind of cancel culture has become a thing. Um, but I'm not, I'm not sure exactly. That would be a question for, for the men that were in charge there. Um, maybe, maybe they didn't, maybe they didn't, you know, have trust. Maybe they didn't trust me not being under contract to come and do business the right way. I mean, I've always done business. I've never, I've never, I've never said I wouldn't put anybody over. I've never sabotaged the match intentionally. I've never, not done business, whether I liked it or not, I've always gone out there and worked my ass off and done whatever was asked to me, even if I disagreed with it. So I think that's, you know, but the end of that bound for glory match was giving everybody what they expected from what they thought that, you know, what they've heard about Austin Aries. So it was easy to work everyone because I did exactly what people think Austin Aries would do because he was angry. He had to lose the title. The reality was, is I was the one who suggested putting the title on John in the first place. It was my idea. They originally weren't going to switch it. And I said, I think you should, because he's a lot better guy to put on your poster. If you're, you know, guys coming off survivor, your guys are looking for a TV deal. Like I would much rather put John Morrison on the poster as my champion than me, you know? So, I mean, it was my idea for, to do the switch. <clears throat> we just had people really biting so hard at this animosity we'd built through the, the Twitter exchange and the pull apart at the hall of fame. And then, we weren't settled with a contract situation and that was unsettling for me um, just because of everything I'd gone through with that company over the years with wonky contract negotiations and 
how they dealt with their business. And this, this was a different regime, but there was still some residual bad taste in my mouth from that. So I wanted to go out in a way that created a controversy and a buzz so that, cause I really thought we had people invested and we would be able to get, you know, one more hot rematch out of it and then, and then really finish up the storyline that way. It just never happened. And um, I mean, I remember I offered, I think, I think the next pay-per-view they had was in Nashville, like the homecoming pay-per-view. And I think they were doing a three-way for the title with maybe it was Brian Cage and Morrison. And I can't remember who the third guy was, maybe Sammy Moose. I don't remember. But I said, Hey man, I was like, even though I'm not on a contract, I, I'll come to Nashville. And at the end of the main event, after the match is over, don't want to, don't want to give a, you know, a, a screwy finish Match is over. John wins. He's in the middle of the ring. I hop the guardrail. I hit the ring. I assault him. I said, don't tell anybody, just, just John. I said, and tell the cops to come and haul me away and arrest me like they would a fan who got in the ring. I said, just bail, just bail me out afterwards. Like this is kind of this is like the crazy level of commitment I had to this work because we had people biting on it so hard. I'm like, man, like, especially in this day and age where I was like, oh, well, kayfabe's dead. You know, everyone knows wrestling's not real. It's like, well, if that's not true, we just keep reminding them and we don't know how to work them now with the new set of parameters they think they understand. And so when you understand the things that they think they know, you can still use that against them to work them. And I think the Bomber for Glory was an example of that because till this day, four years later, people still talk about it and they're still like insistent that I went into business for myself and and was unprofessional. And and um, part of me wants to like take pride in that because like, I'm, you know, I love the art of pro wrestling and working people. But the other part of me is like, man, I hate this idea that people think I would be that unprofessional at my job, something I, that I gave 20 you know plus years to. There were plenty of opportunities over my career if I if that was the kind of person I was that there was a lot of situations where I disagreed with what was happening in the ring where I where I could have acted that way, you know, but it's just never been how I've gone about my business, really. Do you think, you know, that's still possible nowadays and the current with the current product being able to have guys and gals tell their story like, like with the story that you just brought up? Um, it really brought out the did uh, uh, Jeff Jarrett being involved with Ric Flair's match there, mm-hmm. where it's just like I'm, I had a discussion with a couple of buddies of mine. I said, "Dude, this I I know it's probably a work, but goddamn, they're really making you question it." Um, do you think that that's still a possibility with some of the guys and gals out there today? I think it, with the right performers, it is. You know, and I, and I think that maybe I'm a little bit of a throwback and maybe was a little slow to adjust to how wrestling was changing, you know, which maybe got me in trouble a little bit um, because I just, you know, not, not, in a, not in an attempt to insult anybody's intelligence, but I always use the analogy of magic, right? Like we know that the guy, the magician's not really sawing the woman in half. But if he's going out of his way to remind you that what you're seeing is not really a magic trick, you know, like, well, then why do I keep going to see this guy perform magic if he keeps telling me that it's not really magic? Mm-hmm. And so I think sometimes, you know, I think, you know, and, and the funny thing was like that, that found for glory, I think what convinced people is because when I walked in the building that day, I was already working, you know, the way I was trained is, you know, you don't, 
you don't start working when the match starts necessarily, but like when you walk out of your, your house that day, you kind of assume a part of that character and you're working. Right. And so I knew there was a lot of people in the back that I didn't know. And a lot of times now the marks are in the back and they're the ones that are feeding these dirt sheets, all the little tidbits of information. So I kept a very uncomfortable energy throughout that whole day. And, and when John and I were even talking that match out, I was kind of, you know, animated and point my finger in his face and walking away disgusted for a moment and then coming back and engaging so that anyone who wasn't within earshot thought, oh, these guys really have an issue. Like they're not getting along. The thing was, is me and John really never had an issue, you know? And, um, but yeah, so I think it can be done. You just, you can't do it the way we did it in the seventies or even the eighties. But now what you can, like I said earlier, what you can do is you take what the, the smart fan thinks they know, because again, they've never been backstage. They've never actually seen the inner workings of wrestling. They're going by what other guys who have never been backstage write on dirt sheets as to what's really happening. So if you take what they think they know, or they've read and they think they know, then you can use that to your advantage to work them. Or, you know, additionally, we always know that the best pro wrestling is always when you blur the lines of reality and fiction. And so when you take maybe what were real life issues, again, with the Jarrett and Flair thing, you start taking maybe some real life issues in the past that they had, or you start talking about family stuff and maybe things that, you know, are 25% true. And then you embellish the other 75%. You know, I think that's a way to do it. Cause then that's where's the fan. You're like, man, like, like you said, I think that they're working, but I'm not sure well, it's because <laughs> they are, but they aren't. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, that's, I think that's where the, the magic is. The magic's in the middle there. And so um, I just, you know, one of my monikers I thought about using was the the last real magician. You know, like You're right, right, right. I pulled the last big magic trick in wrestling that you know four years later people are still convinced was something that it wasn't. Yeah. You know, something that I found uh, on your uh, Twitter at Austin Aries on the 9th of August is a quote that I found very powerful and made me think a lot. Mm. Uh, it said, "Quote." when you start struggling to maintain you've been, it's because you're fighting the evolution of who you are meant to become embrace the change. Yeah. Um, like I said, that was very powerful for, to me. And I mentioned that to Brian, I sent it to him. I said, dude, I got to ask Austin about this. Cause yeah. was that just something that, you know, something that clicked that you just kind of wrote down or was it something that you've always, you know, had? No, it's just a place that I'm at right now. And, and I've kind of been in my life, right? Um, you know, I I stepped away from wrestling, you know, after after Bound for Glory and, and, and Parting Ways with Impact. And then we had the, the COVID um, situation, um, you know, which obviously shut down a lot of wrestling. Um, I mentally checked out of wrestling for the first time in my adult life. Right. I've lived firmly in the bubble of pro wrestling since I was 22 and like lived it. Right. It was everything. And, and, and so with that, you can lose your sense of self of like, well, who's Daniel, right? Like you're not Austin Aries, this, you know, wrestling figure you've created and all your accolades, you know, aren't necessarily quote unquote real, right? Like the pro wrestling bubbles, it's fiction. It's made up. 
you know, a lot, most of the world is made up in fiction. If you really think about it, it's all man-made constructs. So I, I had this opportunity and I was at a point in my life where I decided to really just emotionally and mentally like leave that bubble and figure out like, who am I? Right. You know, outside of this world of pro wrestling. And so, you know, I, I went to Mexico for a year, was kind of on this spiritual journey. Um, you know, did, did, uh, did some plant medicine ceremonies, just like my friend, Aaron Rodgers. uh, did not get to uh, MVP seasons after, after it, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but, uh, and so what this place I'm in now, you know, it's like, I feel like I know I'm meant to transition into a new part of my life that maybe doesn't have pro wrestling as, as a central part of it. But the struggle now is letting that go. Right. And so you're still trying to be who you've been. You're still trying to be this pro wrestler, Austin Aries, world champion, all these labels that we put on ourselves, And that right now is causing a little bit of the internal uh, struggle with really embracing who I feel like I've become and I'm becoming because I'm not sure that the person I'm becoming and the things that I'm interested in pursuing are going to match with the person that I've been for the last 20 years. And so I'm at this place where wrestling's keeping me attached just enough. Cause I still love a lot of what, it, you know, a lot of, a lot of things about it. It still pays the bills, you know, but I'm not sure it's fulfilling me anymore. And so sometimes if you want to be able to fully embrace something new, you have to fully let go of what the old thing is that you're holding on to. So Aries, uh, obviously we, we mentioned, you know, earlier that, you know, the, the retirement that I did yeah. and um, huge, huge um, moment for me as well as what you're talking about. Um, and I've removed myself from that bubble and, um, and just, just being honest, I've, I've, I've figured out what I am after that. And um, actually, it's it's a piece of shit. Um, <laughs> but um, well, what, well, wait, what were you during it? Because I thought you were a piece of shit then too. <laughs> but I was, I was, I was a big piece of shit then. <laughs> oh, you're you're a big piece of shit, and now you you've actually improved. Now you're just a piece of shit. <laughs> but no, no, I'm kidding. But no, no, yeah. I'm kidding. Um, I just wanted to break the ice. Um, yeah. <laughs> But no, no. Um, but it, it is a very difficult thing. You're right. Um, when it's what you do and what you know for basically for me all my life. Yeah. Um, it's 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 tough. Um, but I'll say, you know, and I and I know you're not in my situation at all. Um, but you know, if I'm trying to kind of age you a little bit, I mean, just maybe just to pick me up. I'm thinking, uh, you know, if we could talk later after this, because yeah. this could be debatable. Um, yeah. But. Um, you know, to me, there's just, you know, to, to get out of the travel portion, to get out of the, 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 the politics, to get out of the, the bullshit that, that is around wrestling that we both know about. Oh, yeah. Um, and it, it was never so bad for me to, to, to really mention it like that, but I know how it is for guys like you and, and guys in general for, in wrestling that are wrestlers because they're the ones that are the tickets. They're the ones that are sales, the T-shirts. Brian, Brian Hebner was none of that, okay? And I understand that. But what my point being is that 
I finally came to a realization that when you've reached your goal as far as what you wanted to do when you went in, which I've done, I've done right. WrestleMania, right. I've done main events, I've done major pay-per-views, right. I've done, you know, everything that I can do. Really, what's left for me to do other than take myself away from my family is my my aspect on it. Sure. Um, you don't have kids, and I know that, but... Not that I know of. Well, <laughs> and that's another conversation, maybe another podcast. <laughs> uh, but no, but 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 for me, that's how it came about to me. Um, yeah. I'm going to miss it, and I've missed it already. I mean, I've missed seeing, you know, other referees that have taken my place on the show. Mm-hmm. And it's like, really? Wow, okay. Like, not like... And, and I shouldn't feel that way, but like that's just a natural reaction. It's just like, oh, okay. And I know you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I'm good. And 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 I think that right now, in my opinion, just listening to you, I don't think you're good yet to say I'm walking away. I I, I don't. That's just me personally. And I think that you'll know when that time is, really, to be honest with you. And is my time right now? Because to me it is. Yes, I have no intentions on going back to a full-time company and working under a contract. I really don't. I don't want to. That's where I'm at right now. Now I have people like Gail Kim, D'Lo Brown, Scott Demore, um, even people in other companies talking about I'm the Tom Brady of wrestling. So I'll be back soon. Right. Um, that, that that's just not true right now. It's not. I have right now. I have zero, zero. I mean it. RJ, I talk to you all the time. He can tell you. Mm-hmm. I have zero. I don't even want to do the things I've already signed up for. I don't even want to do. Them. <laughs> well, um, right. And, and let me ask you this because maybe maybe this is where there, it's a little different for your in your position to someone like my position right yeah we yes like we're a big dysfunctional family so when we step away we're going to miss that camaraderie and 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 those type of things but for the performer there's this there's this dopamine hit and this rush when you walk out of the curtain and everyone applauds you or for me when they boo you that as a referee you don't really experience right like you're you're part of the show a huge part of the show but the spotlight's never on you and the people are never you're never getting that dopamine hit night in and night out that when we walk away from that that's hard to replace in anything else in our life and for you that's not something you have to replace and then now you also get the benefit of spending more time with your family which is a whole different dopamine hit that i'm sure you enjoy after being away from them for so long so i think the itch would be a little different you know you see the performers who keep coming back yeah sometimes it's financially motivated but a lot of times it's because they just miss that feeling of yes. walking out and having the people give them that energy and that dopamine hit and they just there's nothing else to replace it so they got to walk out that curtain one more time to feel it one more time does that, does that make any sense no 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 it makes complete sense 100 100 um and and as i was growing up and getting older in the business and, and starting to do more and starting to see people like hogan and flair getting to those age limits where i knew there wasn't long before they weren't gonna be able to do what they do Right. And, it, and it depressed me to think how a Hulk Hogan could feel on top of the world for so long. Um, Ric Flair to feel like a God for so long. And then it just can't happen because of natural body, God. Yeah. you know, biology. Yeah. Um, but the one thing about me that you have to understand though, with that, the only thing I can touch on with that, I'm not saying there's not other referees that are like me. I'm not. I'm just saying for me, I was so deep in this business and embedded with just the love of the game um, that what you said you felt, I felt, whether it was for me or not, 
So in other words, if I knew you were being directed to a certain character and you needed to be booed out of the building and the time that you'd walk out and you were booed out of the building, I got goosebumps because I was feeling your character get over. Yeah. So it meant a lot to me as well. You know what I mean? Yeah, so sure. It wasn't for me. I understand that it wasn't for me, yeah. but it was for me because it was the company I worked for and we were going somewhere. And that's why it felt so important to me. Like if a Jeff Hardy came out, we got that Jeff Hardy pop. Boom. And all of a sudden, here comes Aries, and you get booed out of the building. Dude, I get, like, it's crazy. Except I, except I didn't. I actually got a bigger pop than Jeff, but that's that's neither here nor there. They, they were just insisting on turning me heel and, and and undermining that whole thing. But anyway, that's for another podcast, right? Pop <laughs> for podcast. That's the se- that's the second big miss, right? Was was just how that was, was that well, but I was actually going to get to that, not yeah. that that exact moment, but I was going to get to that anyway. But but no, but what I'm saying, that's the shit I'm going to miss, whether it's for me or not. Sure. I mean, sure. it, it's weird is that as I went to towards the end of my career, I would say the last three or four years, um, believe it or not, man, and I know you would believe it, but for listeners, they may not. Um, you know, I started getting major reactions coming out. Every time my first time coming out, um, kind of like Earl did, but but I wasn't announced. I wasn't announced as the referee coming out with music. Um, you know, it was just me walking out. I mean, and you're right, that is irreplaceable. I mean, it really is. And it's a it's something that if you've never done it in your life as listeners, I want you to hear this. Like, if you've never walked out somewhere and you felt people that cared about you or fucking hated you, you don't understand what we're saying. Um but yes, I understand what you mean, man. I do. And it's, 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 it's tough to replace. I get it. And I really, really, truly understand what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Did you end up paying those people that were cheering for you, Brian, or are they still waiting on those checks to come through? Well, no, no, I only paid a couple of them to just pass the word. Okay. Gotcha. That's all you gotta do. You pay three or four and they and start it and then everyone else just follows. Cause it's always the hive mind mentality. Let's be honest, Brian. They were probably cheering because at first they probably thought you were a wrestler because you're more jacked than, than half the guys coming out of the locker room now, right? Well, yeah. Listen, or maybe listen. you work. Maybe, you know, maybe you've settled in a retirement life and you've lost all the, all those gains. Uh, I, I haven't. I haven't. <laughs> well, he's eating all those cookies and drinking all that uh, that heavy beer, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, one thing I wanted to touch on to Austin was you know Brian can attest this because I, I kind of went off on a tangent before we brought you in too about this was dude, I was super super pissed with all this stuff with happened with you and WWE uh because I told Brian I said dude how can you not find something for Austin and Austin Aries to do in this company Granted, I, you've had you had bang up matches in, in the cruiserweight division there with you know with Pac and all those guys, but if it's something you can talk about, what 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 transpired with that stuff? Because I I'm I'm trying I'm racking my brain trying to figure it out too sometimes. Um, I mean, I think other people are more disappointed and or surprised with my run there than I was. <laughs> if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Um, listen, I went there as a 38 year old under five foot 10, you know, performer who built his own name. You know, they didn't build me. They didn't own my character. I came in with a reputation of, you know, being difficult. Um, you know, I admittedly am not necessarily corporate friendly. Um, I ask too many questions for most corporate structures because they want good soldiers who just say yes, sir. 
And I've always been a little bit more of a why, sir. And a lot of times asking why in those type of environments is looked at as difficult. Uh, and I understand that. So the fact is I kind of walked in there and I don't think there was ever a really big plan for me to do anything of substance that, that you know, they never told me coming in, oh yeah, we want to do X, Y, or Z it was kind of bringing me in and tell me you're already kind of on double secret probation, you know? <laughs> and, um, but, but the fact is in 18 months, I went from NXT where I was kind of just there. And then I, you know, and I just saw, I just saw him yesterday, uh, Nakamura, you know, God bless him, broke my orbital bone on a house show. And that ended up being the best thing that happened to me because that landed me on commentary. And then my first time on commentary, I knew that Vince didn't know who the hell I was. And I certainly didn't fit the type of mold that he looks for and someone that he's going to get behind. And I just knew that if I could get over on commentary with them, that that's how other guys had, had been able to make a, a, their way in that company. Um, he had been sitting in that seat for how many years? He'd heard the best of the best and the worst of the worst. So I knew that that first night on 205 Live commentary was going to be the most important moment of my career there. And I capitalized on it. I came back after the match and he had a huge grin on his face. God damn it. You're a natural. That was that was the best debut anybody's ever had on commentary. And um, and shortly thereafter, he changed the WrestleMania match from what was supposed to be a multi-man cruiserweight match to, to, me and, uh, to me and Pac. At least this is what I was told. And so that got me to WrestleMania. And so, you know, for 18 months, I did a lot of stuff there that wasn't ever, I don't think, intended for me to do. And I didn't do it because I was politicking backstage or because I had any buddies in positions of power. If anything, I was doing it in spite of, of not having those things and probably not being extremely well liked. Um, but, you know, that that and, you know, Brian's been there and he knows and it is different. It is different as a referee um, or he's an, as an announcer than it is as a wrestler. There's less competition. So there's probably less backstabbing. There's less political positioning because um, I definitely felt when I was doing commentary, like it was so much less stress, so much less bullshit. And I actually really enjoyed that probably more than anything else I did there. I enjoyed the camaraderie with the other commentators. You know, Michael Cole was so, and, and Corey Graves was like so gracious and like and helping me learn as I was doing this on the job. Um, but yeah, you know, it's just, I don't know. And it's just, it was what it was. It ran its course, you know? And, and I think that we both kind of came there with this, preconceived idea of what the other was like and you know we probably both lived up to that reputation you know like it wasn't necessarily a a, a fun environment a lot of times um and uh and i and you know it feels like a lot of times it's a constant test you never know what the test is you never know if you passed or failed but you always know it's a test and i felt like i passed a lot of tests but eventually I failed some because I, I, you know, I can only, I can only put the smile on for so long. I can only eat so many shit sandwiches as they say with a smile on my face before I just have to acknowledge like it's another shit sandwich. And, and I think they're like, again, they didn't see anything in me long-term 38 years old, five foot nine in my boots, 185 pounds. They're not seeing it. They're not seeing a guy that's going to make money and that's fine. You know? So I thought all in all, like, I'm very grateful for my time there. I learned a lot. Um, I accomplished something that 
at that point in my career, I thought wasn't going to be in the cards for me. I got to walk out in front of 70,000 people in WrestleMania. I got to sit in a production truck and learn that end of the aspect. I got to do, do commentary on Monday Night Raw live. Um, you know, so I, I accomplished a lot of things there that I never expected to. And, um, you know, do I wish that I would have been there longer? I certainly wasn't trying to leave when they let me go. I was just, um, you know, I was just having battling some injuries, you know, I was getting cortisone shots for my for my neck injuries and um, was, ha was looking forward to having some time off after the, the Neville program to kind of regroup physically and mentally and figure out what my next direction was. And the next direction was, uh, you know, being featured endeavored, you know, and, um, <laughs> and that's just how this, this business works sometimes, you know, and uh, who knows, maybe now with uh, the new regime in power there, you know, maybe they'll want to bring me back and give me that big push. Now I'm, I'm only 44. <laughs> well if, if you're going back then brian's going back too it's like a two-for-one deal right i'll bring it back as my personal referee there you go there it is i, I ain't going fucking back there i can <laughs> <laughs> yeah man i mean listen I, I i this is this is wrestling so they always say never say never but but i you know that's not a place I, i've had a strong desire or urge or even a small desire or urge to to try to go back to since I left. And I imagine they probably feel the same way and that's okay. You know, sometimes things just aren't a fit, you know, and, and uh, you know, what they do, they do very well. What I do, I do very well. And it just didn't necessarily mesh the way that we do it. Well, this, this is for all the dirt sheets out there. Um, I have a zero, 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 <laughs> zero, 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 zero percent that I'll ever go back to WWE. Put that online. Yeah, I'm not, well, of course, because you know that's a good negotiating tool. Because once they know they can't have you, now they got to have you. So of course, well, what everyone says, "I, I have no interest going there." Like, oh, this guy doesn't want to go here. We'll show him. Well, Aries, I, I wish that was a tactic I was taking on. But yeah, guess I what? know, I know, I know. You're not fuck that them. Yeah, fuck them. I'm not going ever back there. Fuck them. Yeah. Well, I, I knew I, I knew I've always wanted to do a podcast with a WWE official. So. I think that's uh, you know you never never say never. Yeah. Well, just yeah. wait, just wait till you just wait till you show up and control your narrative. Then your phone's gonna start ringing off the hook. <laughs> well, listen, I respect the guys that are there and all that stuff. I just you know, hey, has nothing to do with who's in charge and all that stuff right now. It just I, like you said, I think you actually said it earlier. It's a bitter taste in your mouth, and you just sometimes never forget it. And I don't ever want to live that way again. And like you said, it's a game. It's a game. I'm not interested in fucking playing. Yeah. Uh, and, well, and you, and you put yourself in a position where you don't have to. And so, you know, listen, that, that lifestyle and that system, the way it's been structured and who knows, you know, maybe it's going to start changing with, with new ownership. We'll see. Time will tell, but it's difficult, man. It's, it's difficult. It's not an easy lifestyle. And, and I'll say that, you know, when I went there, I had been used to a certain way of how my career was, you know, like with, with, with TNA and impact, you know, yeah, we'd film multiple days in a row, but then we'd have a couple weeks off and you know, you might pick up some indie shows, but you had a lot of time home. You had a lot of time to sleep in your own bed, go to your own gym. And there was a complete opposite. You know, I was home for 36 hours, you know, and back on the road and, and, and it was a difficult to adjust. And I felt like every time I was starting to figure out, the scheduling or the adjustment, then things change, whether it was from NXT, then all of a sudden I'm on the main roster doing commentary, 
trying to figure out that lifestyle, which was different, you know, and then, and now you're actually working and wrestling, you know, four or five nights a week. And that's why, you know, like, listen, for, for all the detractors or whatever, you have to give absolute um, props to all the men and women who are able to live that lifestyle and thrive with any, with any sort of longevity. You know, the guys that are on top guys like Seth Rollins, you know, you know, Roman, these guys that have made their way and, and like they're, they're beasts, man, they're workhorses. That's a, that's a difficult environment to, to do that for any, any length of time. So um, hats off to them. I just, you know, like kind of what you're saying, like for me, I just don't think it, it it's something that I would want to go back to. Yeah, I agree. You know, I just want to touch on one brief thing. You brought it up uh, before we steer steer the uh, ship to the end here. Uh, cr- control your narrative, man. I absolutely love what uh, what you, everybody's doing there between EC3 and Adam, yourself, all that good stuff. Is that your way? Just kind of okay. You like you said, forty four years old. You know, five foot nine in boots. You know, you but you're still putting on a hell of a show, man. Is that something that you know? Just something that you know, let, let's get the, let's get this going. Um, I mean, yeah, l- listen, I, you know, I, I can sometimes be a little self-deprecating, but I've got plenty left in the tank. Um, yeah. you know, I can still perform at a very high level. And, and, um, I think that, you know, even now, maybe I'm not at my physical peak, but mentally, I think that I'm at a place where I probably get this better than I ever have. And I think part of that's because I did step away and it allowed me to kind of put a lot of these things in perspective and, not take certain things so seriously or hold them so close to the heart and, and let my emotions, you know, kind of get the best of me, um, you know, stepping on that bubble and being able to kind of see, you know, what we do is kind of silly in the big picture. Right. And we're all walking around holding it so near and dear. And um, you know, it's, it's not that important at the end of the day. So that's been a perspective that's helped me kind of come back and also realize like, Hey, I want to, with whatever time I have left, I want to be, working with people in places that I can believe in um, projects that interest me that I think are trying to do something that aligns with my beliefs. And when I say my beliefs, I don't mean my political beliefs. Cause I know that's where, you know, that's where, you know, everyone is trying to kind of pigeonhole CYN as a certain type of uh, political affiliation or ideology, which is just really ridiculous. And it all stems from some Reddit post that was put out by another promotion uh, after, after, you know, they found out we were running the same building as they were, you know, uh, but anyway, you know, I think the concept of letting the talent tell their story, not overproducing, trying to create something that has a little bit of a different feel to the product. And then also like not shying away from some of these topics that, aren't necessarily being really touched on in other places, you know, instead of creating a bunch of, you know, fictitious storylines, we're taking real elements to who these men and women are as human beings. And we're trying to bring that to the surface. And so that was all really appealing to me. Um, And then also, you know, once they announced my involvement, you know, social media blew up and I was trending multiple times on Twitter that week as everyone was, very angry because they thought I was canceled and they found out I wasn't as canceled as they thought I was. And then that angered them. So they tried to recancel me and, you know, thankfully and, and appreciatively, um, you know, the, the team there stuck by me and they didn't waver with that, with that controversy coming at them. And a lot of other places would have and have, 
And so for them to give that vote and confidence in me of who I am as a person, not, you know, what they read about me online, um, you know, made me want to come and work and, and, and bring what I bring to the table to them. And also them offering an opportunity to do more things behind the scenes um, with production, you know, producing these shows and, you know, working with talent and, and really being part of the brain trust for me is something that I've really longed for a lot for, for a long time. And, you know, a lot of the places I stopped for whatever reason um, along the way, that opportunity was never presented to me, you know, and, and maybe it's cause I just wasn't, um, you know, mentally or emotionally in the right place to, to, to be in those spots. But, you know, I'd sat in some creative meetings back in, in, in TNA, you know, it was something I've always been interested in. I think, again, I like to think I'm an ideas guy. I don't want to be a decision maker. Um, but I do have a lot of ideas and I think a lot of them are good. Um, not just for me, but for other people. And so I think that, you know, they always say we don't care where the good idea comes from as long as we get the good idea. I, I think sometimes they don't mean that <laughs> but they say it, but I can say here for sure, you know, so far working with, with uh, EC3 and Adam um, that they, they appreciate all the guys inputs and we try not to have any of this hierarchy nonsense or the office and the boys or secret heat or any of these things that have kind of plagued the wrestling business for a long time. We're all men. We're all women. We're all adults. We're all trying to figure our way through this puzzle called life. And again, when you take us all out of the fake pro wrestling bubble, we're all the same. So to not treat anybody, you know, to treat people differently or talk down to people because of some perceived hierarchy is nonsense. And, and so the beautiful thing about what we're doing and, and something that, that I reiterate to our crew a lot is, we have the opportunity to build and create a promotion the way that we think it should be run. We don't have anyone, there's no structure that's already been set in place, no corporate structure. We don't have any, you know, high yield sponsors we have to worry about, you know, you know, kneeling to. We get to create this in the vision of how we would want a wrestling promotion to be run, how we wish other places that we worked at along the way would have run. And we get to build that you know, and, and bring it to life. And that's a, that's a really cool concept and, and powerful and something that, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be a part of. And, and, you know, I think that right now, you know, there's a lot of um, perceptions about what the company is or the company isn't, and we haven't really done anything yet. You know, we've got a couple of features. Now next one's going to be released kind of telling my story a little bit, my journey. Um, we've done a handful of live events, um, but we haven't really, really had any type of longevity or to really show people what we're we're about and i think that once we get this 24 city tour under our belts and take this around the country then people can start to understand what we're really trying to do and it is again it's like yeah we're all there to uh be entertained and forget about our problems but there's also a platform to, to try to address some of these issues and help people figure out ways to, to fix some of these problems. And that's what I've always been about. You know, it's like, we don't, we don't forget about problems. We don't talk about problems, but how do we start to solve and fix problems? You know, how, let's, let's, let's address some of these elephants in the room and let's be able to do it with respectful discourse. Let's be able to sit down with people of different ideologies, different ideas, different backgrounds and bridge that gap. And I think there's a big fan base out there right now that is maybe a little tired of a small bulk of minority who, who seems to think that they own or have, you know, like own the rights of pro wrestling. 
And so there's people that are afraid to speak out against that because they get shouted down or the mob mentality takes over and they get piled on online. And the more we can be courageous and, and not waver in, in the face of those, of those critics and that criticism, what I'm seeing is it's giving those fans um, courage to also stand up and have their voice be heard too. And their voices is just as important as the, the, the loud vocal minority that always wants to be heard. Cool. So this is a uh, me question. Um, what is the deal? <laughs> this is going to seem What's like. The What's the deal? <laughs> What's the deal, Sean? Uh, what, what is up with Jim Cornette, man, and you? I, you know, I, I'm not uh, sure why Jim has such a, a strong affection. Well, uh, let, let's say, let's say this. Okay. So Jim came into ring of honor at a time right after a regime change. And I was very close with Gabe Sapolsky. I spent a lot of time in the ring of honor offices in those days. I was running the school. Obviously I owe Gabe uh, a lot for putting me in the position he did with that company. And when the regime changed happened, there was a lot of um, disorder. Um, you know, they're, you know, they brought Adam Peterson. I was asked to kind of help him and, and, you know, run some of the locker rooms when he couldn't be there, but I don't think anybody else was given that, uh, that information. So it came off as like me trying to take over control, but it was something I was asked to do, but I wasn't really given the tools to do it effectively. Um, and then they brought Jim in and, you know, listen, Jim's a smart guy. I mean, he's been around the business a long time. He's figured out a way to stay, you know, relevant and, and, you know, successful. And I think he was trying to work his way into a position of power, which eventually he did. And the problem was, is at the time I was having a lot of issues with the office of ring of honor and how they were doing their business, taking away hotel rooms, cutting everyone's pay, um, a lot of the things that we fought for that made that place uh, appealing for talent was quickly changing when, when once the new regime was kind of put in place. And I took issue with that. And I stood up for a lot of the guys at a certain point on the bottom of the company because a lot of people were having concerns over the HD net contracts that were being offered out. And it didn't affect me personally, but it was affecting some of my students and a lot of the guys, you know, really up and down the card. Sure. And so I, I made the mistake and I learned my lesson of sticking my neck out and going to bat for everybody. And it quickly turned into Austin Aries is trying to pull a coup. He's a rabble rouser. He's trying to pit the office versus the boys. And me and the GM at the time, Sid Eek, had it out on the phone on a conference call. And I called him out on a lot of bullshit that he didn't know that I knew about. Um, and so there was definitely an issue between me and Sid, but I never had an issue with Jim, but I definitely did have an issue with Sid. I don't think, I didn't think he respected any of the boys. He was making more money than they were paying anybody at that time, including me as the top guy, as the champ. Um, you know, I was, I wasn't even making $50,000 a year there at the time on top. And, and, um, and so I really just felt like Jim, I was an issue and a problem for Jim because yes, at that time, a 
there were some things in my personal life going on with the relationship that had, had ended at the time of someone else in the business. And that also involved another one of my colleagues. Um, you flashed a picture before we, uh, before we started this podcast of that person. I think it's on your mug. Right. And so that created some, <laughs> yeah, that, that created some personal issues with me, very difficult going through that personally, which obviously Jim had no idea about and really nobody did. It was just dealing with that. And that's why um, it's going to be difficult to date within the business. Um, so yeah, at that time I was going through some stuff and probably was coming to work, not in the best of moods. Um, and you know, the sad thing is, is I was so excited to work with Jim and I had so much respect for him. I grew up watching him and I was excited to have the opportunity to learn from him. I was being put in a position of kind of helping out in the office area, you know, with, with Adam and what they were doing, or at least, you know, early on, that was something that was discussed. And I was keen to like, you know, learn from Jim and his knowledge. And, um, and instead, you know, I think that a lot of guys uh, were kind of pushed out and it's funny because I could tell something was up because I was booked on almost all the shows and um, there were two shows that were a drive for me that they said they didn't, they didn't have room for me on it and that to me was kind of suspicious because um, again I'd been on just about everything and this wasn't even like it was a flight it was a drive for me so I called Carrie at the time and left a message to try to talk with him. I left a message for Jim and they kind of both gave me the runaround or, you know, I don't think Carrie even got back to me. Jim, you know, played a little bit of a runaround. And so we never had a conversation. And then we got to TVs and um, they started giving guys their kind of their walking papers and telling guys, Hey, we're finishing you up this, you know, this uh, couple shows. And, um, but no one talked to me. Like for like two days, like I couldn't get Jim or Carrie to even have a conversation with me. And so finally, once everybody left the last day of tapings, everyone's leaving the building, everyone's gone. And then Jim says, oh, hey, Austin, we can talk now. And um, we sat and talked and it was the issue with Sid was brought up. And I said, yeah, I, I and I can tell you why I have an issue with this guy. It's like, but that doesn't affect my you know, ability to come and work, you know, I don't have to deal with them directly. I just come do my job. And so we talked about the issue, but we didn't really talk about a solution, you know? And so I left there kind of not really knowing what the solution was. And the solution was to passive aggressively um, just stop booking me. So, you know, when Jim goes on these big tie, you know, tirades about how he fired me and, and this and that, it's like, no, man, like you, you sat in front of me and didn't even have the decency or the balls to actually do that you left it all open-ended and it was all very passive aggressive and anytime that i and and the, you know the few times i've been near him since he's taken this you know stance on me and i've been in locker rooms you know he hasn't felt the need to come and say anything to me directly so you know i think jim just you know he's got a podcast he needs to have content it's fashionable right now to kind of shit on me um, you know, it seems to be the thing that gets you a lot of likes on, on, uh, Twitter, you know, a lot of, a lot of likes on, on, on your YouTube uh, show. And so that's cool. Um, you know, but, but again, you know, 
what people say from the comfort of their own home and what they're willing to say to you when you're face to face to a lot of times are two very different things. And, um, you know, Jim's no different in that case. Awesome. Uh, lastly, Austin, just plug anything you got coming up between control your narrative, social medias, all that good stuff. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, you can still get my bo uh, book food fight, uh, at my pro wrestling tea store You can go to pro wrestling tees.com and search under my name and you'll find all the goodies on there, including my book. Um, yep. We got CYN starting our 24 city tour in the middle of October. Go to controlyournarrative.com and get all the information on that. You can follow me on Twitter at Austin Aries. Um, I don't tweet much because it seems to be a cesspool and an echo chamber of people who only want to read things they already believe and, and, and be very um, toxic towards people who have a different opinion. So I, I've learned the hard way not to put, uh, you know, my opinions out there because it doesn't really do anything positive. Um, and you go to my Instagram at Austin Healy Aries. I post there a little more frequently, more, uh, my food posts, things like that. Um, you know, I just started, uh, you know, life coaching, uh, helping people optimize their diet and their overall lifestyle as a conscious consumer. You know, I think we all, we all, um, sometimes fail to understand how powerful we are as the consumer and how the things that we consume, whether it's the things that we eat, um, the beauty products we use, the things that we listen to, the things we watch, the people we listen to, the news that we read, how these things all greatly impact who we are as a, as a human being, our overall happiness, our overall success. So um, just kind of coaching people through that process of how to improve their life um, at different levels, because we all have this opportunity to level up in different areas of our life. And sometimes um, we just need a little bit of coaching someone that we can talk to someone we can bounce um, our issues with that can give us some advice. And um, I found, you know, I found it's something that I enjoy doing. Again, I like to tackle problems and I like to try to find solutions to them. You know, I do that for myself and, and it takes some of that knowledge I've now acquired over 20 plus years of learning about the, the food industry, the healthcare system, the way the world works um, you know, trying to, trying to share that with people who find value in that. So. Awesome deal. Hey, uh, Eric, I wish that, um, we were at a Hampton Inn right now, daddy. Oh man. <laughs> Had a pizza yeah. order through the garden. Yeah. Go find uh, a bush, go find a bush light can. Go. <laughs> <laughs> and, Here's uh, yeah. I really want to thank you, man, for, uh, being a part of this podcast and, uh, uh, just, just so you know, a feather in your cap, you can always tell everybody that um, Brian Hebner has never been suspended from wrestling ever in his career, except for your your ass. Um, when I remember when I headbutted the fan when he spit on you. <laughs> well, save me from having to do it. So I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I already re I'd reached my quota of suspensions by that time, so I needed someone to take the bullet for me. So yeah, well, you're, you're a good I, man. I, I took it. I, I got yeah. it. He was he was bleeding and everything. We gave every fucking thing in the merch stand away, but, uh, fuck <laughs> Oh, you want me to sign your program for the third time? Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'll do that. Here you go. Here's everyone's autograph. Here, here's everybody's autographs for $50 and two front row tickets. Like, what a deal. Like, it's like, man, I feel like a 10 cent whore. Well, actually when you break down the numbers, I am. <laughs> they just paid for it. 
We just uh, take chlorophane and just put it right in your nose, take your wallet and your kids, and you just go on away about your way. It's like we should just, you know, when they walk in the door, just turn them upside down and shake them for every nickel or dime they got in their pocket and then go, okay, thank you. It's been fun. We'll see you next time. You know? Jeez. Oh, God. Oh, hey, good but, memories. Yes, sir. Hey, but really, thank you so much, man. I really do appreciate it. And um, you know I'll stay in touch. We always have. And uh, yeah, man. really do appreciate it so much. Yeah, thank you. Find find a couple of those juicy uh, sound bites or headlines that will get uh, get the you know internet wrestling world all fired up and shitting all over Austin Aries for the next week. Let's do it. There you go. Do it. All right. Uh, thanks, brother. Thanks, guys. Have a good rest of your night. You too. you too. Man, Brian, what what a great time with Austin Aries, man. Great guy. I don't care. I don't care what people say. Oh, I don't care what people say either, man. Everybody's got their own opinion. They form their own opinions. You know what I mean? Yeah. Hey, the guy's a good guy. He's just an opinionated guy. And you know what? Some people take it the wrong way. And when you're a person in charge, when you're being questioned, that's usually not the best way to go. But yeah. you know what? Yeah. It's all scenarios, man. Yeah. Well, it's, it's on fun. them then. I had a great time. Hell yeah. But no, next week, we'll let's say stay tuned for next week because we still got a couple uh, – you know, eyes to dot and T's to cross. So just stay tuned for that. Stay tuned to our social medias at underscore, excuse me, not that's the other one at reffing it up on Instagram and Twitter. We'll make an announcement as soon as that comes out. Um, just a couple plugs real quick before we get to the end here, Brian, uh, just give a shout out to JD hoop with his amazing graphics. Uh, and this week I no no doubt is a banger as well. Um, and speaking of bangers, AJ McKay, man, head over to ajmckcreative.com. Check out his website. Absolutely just banger. I can't find another word to describe his uh, intro there, Brian. I can't either, man. It's it's amazing. Um, even Austin Aries and everybody that listens to our stuff says, you know, your opening is fucking fire. Yeah. And it is. And our artwork is fucking fire too, man. Um we're just very blessed, man. We're very blessed. We have a good family here at Reffing It Up, and uh, yeah. we're passing it on to you guys. And uh, yeah, let's go, man. Hopefully, you're enjoying it. And then, uh, and then, lastly, before we close shop, uh, Saturday, September third, Schaumburg, Illinois. If you're anywhere near the area, come see the wrestling showcase. Yours truly, and even Brian will be there too. I know you're probably going there to see me. I understand that. Completely understand. But Brian will be working the the uh, the event there. Go to thewrestlingshowcase.com to get your tickets. Uh, great, great card. Looking forward to seeing that and uh, catching up with you in person once again. Uh, just fantastic. Shout out to them for uh, you know promoting our stuff as well. Um, Brian, you got anything else before we uh, get out of here? I don't have anything, man. Um, obviously, you can follow me at, at, at Baby Hebner on Twitter and Instagram. And um, obviously, anything that you want to talk about, say about, question about, ask about, always go to at Reffing It Up. And uh, I guess that's going to be about it, man. I'm ready to get out of here. I had a great show. I'm exhausted. Austin Aries exhausted me. Probably wouldn't be the first time, man. That's for damn sure. (laughs) Not at all. Uh, So we'll see you guys right back here on Reffing It Up next week. One, two, three.